Well, from rapporteurs to TikTok and everything in between, we're going to dive into some of this week's top stories with lecturer at the Institute of Communication, Culture, Information, Technology at the University of Toronto, Daniel Sai. Welcome back, Daniel. Thank you. So let's first of all talk about uh, the three-year anniversary of COVID and the pandemic. Do you remember where you were when the whole world started to shut down? I think I was stuck at home. Yeah, well, you, you were already <laughs> at home. I didn't leave the house. <laughs> you know, think about that, Daniel. How much our lives and the world has changed? You know, like before before the pandemic, it was 9-11, right? And we saw how uh, air travel changed, uh, just travel in general changed as well. Um, and then we see the pandemic as well and how, you know, good and bad um, have, you know, we've been impacted so much by this pandemic. You know, I think about the crises that we're clawing our way out of, be it healthcare. We're going to talk about healthcare a, bit, a little bit later, later uh, mental health as well. Just all of the things that we are trying to shake off when it comes to the pandemic. What's the one thing that stands out to you as being something that, uh, we still are struggling with as we're only three years out of this thing that changed our lives. I, I think what I'm noticing is a lot of small businesses have not recovered. There's yeah. a quite, quite a few of them have gone out of business. You walk down the street, you'll notice the number of empty restaurants or uh, places that used to be restaurants that uh, are boarded up. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that economic impact has had. Uh, repercussions. And given that we're now entering uh, what likely is a recession, um, that is going to be an ongoing uh, problem. It's not like, uh, you know, we do have this this bounce where people are going back to, to watch movies and so forth. But uh, the reality is it's still going to be a long haul for a lot of these businesses that suffered. It's so weird. Uh, you talk about movies. When I go to a movie theater, I'm always kind of uneasy about when somebody sits right beside me. And it's just, it's interesting how those things kind of kind of linger. Okay, let's uh, head into talk about the rapporteur because, uh, you know, it, it's the word that came to uh, into all of our dictionaries and thesauruses and our lexicon uh, after this week's press conference. I feel like the prime minister's uh, press conference earlier this week, um, he must have said that word probably a million times uh, and we were all dreaming about it in our sleep. So we all know the story that Global News and the Globe and Mail broke uh, bombshell of a story. Allegations are that China influenced the 2019 and 2021 um, elections, according to top secret CSIS uh, documents. And allegedly the PM and senior staff were briefed on this. Um, the conservatives have said uh, hiring a rapporteur is not the answer. Uh, they want a public inquiry. Do you buy the prime minister's arguments that having an impartial person along with the National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians um, who will study China's interference into the elections and the National Security and Intelligence Review Agency will examine also the uh, invest, uh, investigations into the Chinese election meddling? Is that enough for you or do you feel like we also need that, that public inquiry that the conservatives are, are calling for? Well, you need to have more degrees of separation. It's uh, you're having law enforcement or national security officials investigate themselves. That strikes me as a bit of a conflict of interest in the sense that do they really want to look bad? Mm. Uh, so they're going to try to downplay uh, their lack of competency in addressing the issue. And therefore, the only real recourse is to have a 
retired judge uh, or a judge become the head of a public inquiry to get to the heart of it, call witnesses, call the prime minister, call his chief of staff, Katie Telford, okay. and call them to the carpet. And along with other security officials uh, that uh, flag this as a risk and uh, find out and get to the heart of uh, what really is happening uh, or has happened and uh, address it. Yeah. And now the news, uh, you know, we just heard on the, on our news at the top of the hour, and it's all over the papers. Um, Vincent Ku, the Toronto MPP, uh, Conservative Toronto MPP, has resigned from the PC caucus after allegations of being involved in an election interference network, according to a Global News uh, report as well. Did the PCs make the right decision? And I say make the right decision. I mean, the, the wording around this is that um, Vincent Ku has said that he has removed himself um, out of wanting to, uh, he first of all denies any of these allegations and wants to take away any distraction that this might cause towards the, the PC caucus. Um, but this just feels like, you know, he's been shuffled to, to the side. I mean, he was um, pulled out of some parliamentary committees and so forth that he was a part of. Uh, was this the right decision by the PCs? I think it was. I, I have to give uh, Doug Ford credit. The, the Conservatives have done the right thing here. Uh, but at the same time, I uh, want to contrast that. Look at Liberal MP Han Dong yeah. uh, right here in Toronto. You know, there's been uh, pretty substantive reports uh, or a number of reports uh, from various outlets like the Globe and Mail and, uh, you know, this, and Global TV, yeah. uh, both separately reporting on several specific details about what happened in 2019 and 21 campaigns among them allegations of course that have to be obviously you know vetted but uh her peer to you know that the candidate uh are now the mpp or sorry mp at hondong you know there's implications involved uh about undeclared cash donations and various other things that might have happened. Um, so there are a number of issues there. And I think the the best thing would be if, if the prime minister called on uh, Mr. Dong to, uh, to step away. Uh, you know, this just adds to the narrative that has been painted on the Trudeau government that they are soft on China, that, uh, you know, they don't want to be implicated in the fact that uh, they were the ones who were the favorites that uh, that apparent allegedly the CCP uh, wanted to have uh, elected as the as the government because they were supposedly softer on on the on the Chinese uh, government. So I think that I think that's a, a narrative that's stuck. And uh, really, the prime minister needs to uh, to have this public inquiry and 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 to address these allegations related to uh, his candidate. Yeah. We're talking with Daniel Sy, lecturer at um, University of Toronto. What I find interesting, Daniel, too, is this article in the Star that this is kind of an open secret. You know, sources are, have told the Star that they sent countless email correspondence to the RCMP and CSIS that urged people that you know people were being urged to uh, vote for certain candidates in mayoral elections in Vancouver. Um, and so, if this was an open secret. 
among uh, some in the Chinese community. Why are we only hearing about this now? There, there seemed to be this frustration from those who have been saying, we've been talking about this and telling the government about this for a while. And these are notable people, uh, noted, notable Chinese Canadians who have said, yeah, we've seen this and we've been trying to let the government know. Well, the reality is it's not just China. Um, it, this extends to Iran mm -hmm. and Russia. Yep. The, there's something about these expatriate communities. They have, uh, they feel there, there's, there's strong ties with their origin countries like China, Iran, and, and Russia. There's cultural ties, there's uh, family ties. And so this notion of uh, foreign influence is uh, not just a, uh, a thing about uh, the Chinese government. Uh, we're talking about, uh, I, a friend of mine is a CBC reporter. He was investigating uh, the, the Iranian downing of the, of the uh, of passenger jet. Yep. And uh, he was walking around Toronto in the Persian community and was being followed. And uh, he definitely felt uh, unsafe. And uh, this is a hardened uh, reporter. And so we're not just talking uh, one country here. And I think the reason is because this has been so prevalent and we have a uh, soft on crime approach here, especially with uh, a liberal government. I, th I think that's why it's been allowed to flourish. Uh, this week, Financial Accountability Officer Peter Weltman said pledges by the provincial government to improve our health care system uh, by adding beds and staff in nursing homes and hospitals and home care will not happen without more money. And he forecasts a shortfall of 33,000 nurses and personal support workers in the next five years. This is huge news, Daniel, and, and scary. And so I think, you know, many of us as Ontarians are frustrated because we see the house burning and to hear uh, the financial accountability officer say uh, that we're not planning accordingly. Uh, I just, uh, why? Why aren't we planning accordingly? Well, it's a bit of a train wreck, as you said. Uh, the big thing is a budget deficit of uh, $5 billion that's needed for healthcare. And, uh, and so if you're, uh, I, the thing is if you're, medical system is inefficient. Uh, hospitals don't have to compete with one another for resources. Uh, so that doesn't necessarily mean they're using uh, the resources the best way they can. They're, you know, they may be short staffed, but at the same time, there are no real metrics where they can compete and compare uh, what they do with other hospitals. And so uh, you have a, basically as well, a huge demographic shift where people are aging uh, and as you age, uh, unfortunately, you get more health issues. And so uh, this, this demographic bulge of, uh, of a lot of boomers getting older and, and uh, facing uh, medical issues, well, guess what? That, that has been on the horizon for a long time. And so now it really has to be a question of making some very difficult decisions where how do we make the system more efficient? How do we spend uh, our money wisely? because uh, taxpayers' dollars are obviously uh, in short supply. You can only uh, take so much from the till, and uh, how, do you, how are we gonna pay for this? So there's also a, a, ch a challenge here because they wanna move a lot of people into alternative bed bedding. So they are looking at uh, nursing home beds, and even there, there's like a 39,000 uh, wait list for nursing home beds. So there's definitely 
way more demand than there is in terms of supply and resources. And uh, the expectation just to have more federal money isn't going to cut it unless there's actual changes to the uh, healthcare system. But Daniel, uh, Mr. Weltman, uh, again, the financial accountability officer, has said the government has enough money to cover the projected shortfalls um, or to reduce net debt. And yet the criticism is towards the Ford government saying that that money isn't being allocated properly. So essentially we have the money in the coffers, uh, but there's some hesitancy towards pouring it into healthcare which is a concern. It's like you, you have the money right there. It's in your bank account, but you're choosing not to allot it to the biggest crisis that our province is facing right now. Yeah, that's correct. There's also systemic uh, barriers to uh, changing how the healthcare system works. Yeah. So as I said before, you know, hospitals aren't being audited or there are not consistent metrics in place um, if, if, you know, I, I was actually a uh, general counsel for a publicly traded uh, x-ray equipment manufacturer. And what I thought was ridiculous was the amount of bureaucracy to try to get into the healthcare system uh, provincially. It's extremely difficult because you have to go up through uh, a very inefficient tendering process. Uh, the, uh, the, you know, the fact of the matter is we're not always getting the best prices when it comes to things like drugs and uh, equipment. So there's a lot of bloat in the system as well as allocation of resources. You know, it's really interesting with the with COVID-19, one of the legacies is hospitals had to work smarter with less. Mm-hmm. And so how do you do that across the entire province and to ensure that that trickles into efficient use of money? And you're right, you know, the throwing in more money at a, at a, at a system that's already dysfunctional is not going to work. It really requires a top-down analysis, maybe even a commission, to uh, in- to ensure that the uh, the hospitals and the healthcare system is reformed. Yeah, talking about reformation or re- looking at things a little bit differently. Um, <laughs> this week, the CEOs and presidents of Loblaws, uh, Metro, and Empire uh, appeared in front of a parliamentary committee. Uh, boy, does that industry need um, some reform and um, some changes. Uh, and, you know, that committee has been tasked with the job of, of looking into studying inflated grocery prices. Um, and all of the top CEOs and presidents of these uh, three huge companies have denied uh, that their stores are responsible for high food prices. I think we have a clip from uh, Jagmeet Singh uh, during uh, the uh, committee hearing uh, talking about the Loblaw, specifically Loblaw's profit growth um, and comparing it to the cost of food. How much profit is too much profit? You're making more money than you've ever made. How much profit is too much profit? We're a big company and the numbers are very large, uh, but it still translates right down to the bottom line at $1 per $25 of groceries. And if you consider our growth, growth in profit in 2022 is 25 times lower than the unprecedented increases in costs that are being faced by the industry and by the world. Do you buy it, Daniel? No, not really. <laughs> you know, here, here's the thing that was really interesting. I looked at uh, Loblaws' results for Q4 that just came out a yep. couple weeks ago. You know, so the, the what they're really doing is they're passing on the cost of uh, inflation 
And uh, so, you know, even though the uh, general rate of inflation is 5.9, food inflation is 11%. Well, guess what? Their revenue went up by almost 11%. Yeah. And so if you keep passing prices down and you keep the percentage of margin the same, so if you're always charging the same percentage, guess what? Your your profits are going to be very are, are going to go up as well. And so they're not taking one for the team. They're not like cutting back on their margins because they're recognizing that people are uh, suffering with their grocery bills and trying to make ends meet. What they're doing is they're just passing down the costs and collecting the same percent of profit. So I, I don't really buy that. In fact, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, the, the blah blah CEO uh, said was. Well, you know, we're doing so well because people are buying a lot more cough syrup and uh, and makeup, which is odd odd to say, given the fact that uh, you walk into Loblaws, uh, there's been uh, media reports about thirty dollar uh, uh, chicken thighs. Yeah, you know, who who wants to buy uh, any? And that was called a specialty uh, a specialty product. Yeah, and so what we're seeing is uh, Canadians are. Uh, according to World Bank of Canada, aren't actually spending more on groceries as prices rise. Instead, we're paying roughly the same, but getting less. I know personally for myself, Daniel, I'm curious for you and your shopping habits. Uh, when I go grocery shopping now, you know, I would pick up a couple things that were on sale because I'm like, oh, I don't really need this right now, but it's good to have it in, you know, in my in my cupboard in case, you know, I need it down the line and it's on sale. Now I stick to my list because things are so expensive and I am buying a lot more. And yet I don't see my my grocery bill going down. Well, yeah, it's interesting. You walk into even a place like Costco or Walmart, yep. and it's just amazing. This, you, you think it's the low cost leader, and even even though they're cheaper than Loblaws, uh, you're like, wow, this is still really expensive. It's definitely gone up. Um, and part of that as well is you know that that pressure on on uh, food prices, you know. It, it really is incumbent on these large grocers to use their buying power to try to push back on suppliers to, to and also create some transparency. You know, one thing that's really interesting, and there's a major report in CBC Marketplace, which uh, I helped contribute to, where we looked at shrink inflation. Mm. So have you gone into the store and, and noticed the packaging has changed? Yes gotten smaller but you're paying more yep. or in some cases they're changing out the ingredients uh so you know when you buy pumpkin pie filling which should have oil in there they replaced it with water so it's not even the same filling mm -hmm. and uh and they're, they're they're charging more on top of cheaper ingredients so i think uh, there's been a fundamental shift it's it's not only not only are we buying less we're also getting less and spending more 